So here we are in South Queensbury, very different to Pajuli. Yes. Uh, what is significant about Pajuli, having just mentioned that? It's quite a random place. It is a random place, and I knew nothing about it um, before. Did you know where it was? I hadn't got a clue. What country it was in? I hadn't got a clue. Um, and in fact, Pajuli is the village in a t- uh, just outside a town or district called Padair in yeah. northern Uganda. So when I flew from uh, Kampala um, via a place called Arua, um, it was uh, the destination. Uh, for the plane that was uh, it was just me and the pilot and I was in the co-pilot seat flying over the White Nile what was that like, like it was unbel- from that direction of a plane if you know what I mean it was amazing because you could see everything you could see the thunderstorms you could see the White Nile you could see uh, animals down uh, on the plane um, and then we, we it's like an iPad in yeah. the middle of the control panel which he's flying the plane sort of navigationally and we got we flew for like sort of forty five minutes, and the iPad said that we were basically there, you know, like a sat nav on top of, of where we should be, and the pilot just looked at me and said, "Can you see it?" And I said, <laughs> "What?" And he said, "The runway," and I said, "No." He said, "Oh, well, neither can I." So, <laughs> so he sort of taxied in a sort of what would be a holding pattern, yeah. but literally we were flying around, um, and then we suddenly saw this red cinder track uh, that was about, I don't know, 750 metres long, and that was the runway. So then we just went in. Was it tarmac or... No, it was just like uh, red... uh, red, um, Dust? Sort of, yeah, dust. Were you tempted to take control at one point? Never. (laughs) Never. No, no. Um, That was amazing. Um, That was quite an experience. And, you know, he said, oh, yeah, that's the White Nile. Yeah. And you're sort of looking down, you're thinking... And here I am in the first week in December flying over the White Nile when 36 hours before I was in Edinburgh yeah. and the previous Sunday we'd been in church and it was it was, it was was surreal. I mean, that, that week was a remarkable week. I mean, were you just having a break from Christmas? Like, were you running away to Bajuli and thought holiday? Or no. what was the real reason, Dave, for going to Bajuli? No, 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 I, I agonised. So, um, probably... Three or four months before, World Vision had contacted me and said, we have a proposal for you. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a new model of child sponsorship that we would like to pilot Mm -hmm. in the UK. It's been done once with a church in Chicago. It's being done once with a church in Canada. Mm -hmm. And because of the relationship um, that we have as a church uh, over the last... 14 years mm. with World Vision because I've been on the World Vision UK board uh, for the last five years. They said, we can't think of a better church to pilot this project with to see what works and what, what won't work. So would you be interested in doing it? So I said, let's let's chat. Um, I had to sign a, uh, a non-disclosure agreement, <laughs> an uh, which was bizarre, an yeah. NDA. Um, the first time in my life uh, I've ever had to sign one of those, <laughs> and probably the last. Um, and they started to explain it to me, that here was a model where, rather than us being presented with a whole series of photographs of children in the developing world from a a particular community, Mm. whether it was Kisumu in Kenya that we'd done previously or whether it was in Myanmar or or one of the 
hundred countries that World Vision work in around the world, that what they were proposing was that rather than us choosing the child, the child would get the chance to choose us and the project was called mm. Chosen. Mm. So that, that intrigued me. Um, so I thought, okay. So we began a, uh, a series of negotiations um, where they pushed and I kept on pushing back and saying it doesn't fit with our timing, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit with Christmas, mm-hmm. doesn't fit with Advent. Um, all I mean, of which... Episcopalians do how many events at Christmas? We do quite a few. Yeah. We do quite a few. And the idea of, of, of asking people to give... Just before Christmas, yeah. did, again, yeah. humanly speaking, yeah. didn't make any sense. But I was, uh, as is often the case, proved spectacularly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we talked and talked and negotiated and negotiated. And then we came up with this idea of uh, December the 8th being the chosen Sunday when we would give church members the opportunity to offer themselves as sponsors, to have their photographs taken, mm-hmm. uh, for those photographs then to be sent out to this community in Pajuli in northern Uganda, um, about which I knew nothing. Um, and they were insistent that I should go. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't want to go, because I'd only been to Tanzania two weeks before mm-hmm. with World Vision, taking a trip of ten church leaders to see the work there. Um which was interesting and, and actually a really helpful insight because it was a huge contrast mm-hmm. because World Vision um, are coming to the end of working in that project in Tanzania. They've How been long there have you been doing that for? 14, 15 years, wow. which is the typical timeline yeah. that they they will work in. And so right from the, the beginning of World Vision going into a local community, they have an exit plan and an mm. exit strategy mm-hmm. and they, they don't want to build a dependent relationship. They want to put things in place that the local community can then carry on for themselves. Yeah. Um, so I'd seen that two weeks before with Kathy and uh, about six or eight church leaders from across the UK. But here I was going into this community in northern Uganda where I thought World Vision had been active for about a year Actually, when I got there, they'd been there for two months. <laughs> so that was a bit, was okay. a bit different. Um, and then starting to learn about the community. And really, really, when I was there the, the, the day before, um, the chosen day, um, talking to a local Anglican pastor who leads a church of 4,000. Mm. Um, and that was amazing. And praying with him in a church that had been burnt down Mm -hmm. and and, and in the structure the wooden structure the ruins of this church and us praying uh, with him and the cameraman and the sound technician and the local world vision staff member and ruth from world vision in the uk that was that was a very powerful prayer time Mm. Um, and just beginning to become aware of the trauma and the darkness and the evil Mm that had existed in that region for 20 years. So when Idi Amin was on the way out, there was this power vacuum. And one of the the people that sort of tried to fill that power vacuum was a local sort of warlord, I suppose, who raised up this thing called the Lord's Resistance Army. And it was all about oil, Mm -hmm. it was all about money, and it was all about power. But he used... uh, Christianity as a sort of defence um, to, get, and a, people on to board. get people on board. 
the government moved in, in to, to combat him and thousands of people were moved into refugee camps mm. uh, for 10, 15 years. And one of the striking things during my time, very, I mean, it was 48 hours in, in Pajuli, was that I didn't, I saw one person over the age of 60, and that was a Pentecostal bishop. Wow. I didn't see anybody else over the age of 60 because that generation has been wiped out. And so talking to a local family, going to their home, talking to this local Anglican church leader, um, and realising what that community have gone through, that they'd only fairly in the last couple of years returned mm -hmm. from the refugee camps and started to rebuild their lives and started to rebuild some of the the infrastructure, some of the basics of community, and that what we were doing was going into a community in a region that was really deprived mm. and that had really suffered. And therefore, what an incredible opportunity yeah. we, we had as a church mm -hmm. to make a real difference. Um, so I spent that, that Wednesday uh, meeting this local Anglican church leader, um, chatting with him, praying with him, going to the home uh, of, a, of a family which was what was a mud hut in the middle of uh, the bush and meeting a mum who had seen her husband shot in front of her. Mm. She'd lost, I think, two or three children. She still had two bullets in her thigh and she had four children. Wow. Um, and to hear her story and to sit outside her house and to meet the children. But then, 24 hours later, to watch her lead the dancing <laughs> was remarkable. And Were you led in the dancing? I, thankfully, you? no. That, that would not have been good for anybody. I'm pretty sure I saw a video um, of you dancing, no? Uh, well, yeah, sadly. Uh, that was in Tanzania. Oh, thankfully. okay. okay. Um, and, and the local World Vision staff member one of them just said, you need to know that this is a dance of celebration, that this community thought they would never dance again. Mm. And when you when you hear, you know, it's, it sounds like a soundbite and you, you hear a truism like that and you think, no, I'm actually standing in the middle of this school field with over 2,000 people and over 200 children have just chosen their sponsors mm. in these seven or eight marquees. And it's an event unlike any other event this community has ever seen. So they were very nervous to begin with, and they sent the younger children first. They were nervous because they hadn't built trust or the relationship. The, the relationships point, were or? very, very new for them. Yeah. And it's very although, the, yeah, the concept had been ex explained to them, but they ne didn't really grasp what was yeah. happening. But then what happened it was that it, it, we started, uh, groups of children started arriving uh, about half eight, nine o'clock in the morning. I got there at half nine. And it was the... It, they were they were wee tots. I mean, there was three, four, five-year-old children mm. and they were very shy, very lacking in confidence. They... they the, the World Vision staff did a fantastic... And there must have been 60 or 70 World Vision staff or volunteers mm. all wearing orange and white T-shirts. And they took them through a, a process of playing games with them, of giving them food, of breakfast, giving them uh, more games, getting to know them, getting mm. them to tell stories. Connecting um, with them. You know, just building that connection before they actually went into the tent mm -hmm. where 
photographs of P's and G's church members, including yours and Mark's and <laughs> mine and Kathy's, uh, were pinned up. Yeah. Um, so just to recap then, we've had people within P's and G's had their photo taken. Yeah. You then took all these photos out. Yeah. And these photos were, what happened with them at this point? They were uh, pegged up on like washing lines yeah. um, about 30 at a time. Mm-hmm. And groups of children, one by one, were, were, were led into the, the, that particular tent. And they were just asked to spend uh, two, three minutes just choosing which yeah. person they wanted to be their sponsor. Mm. So it gave the power of choice to the child. And, and again, it was the realisation that because of the background that these kids came from, because of the deprivation that they had been through, this probably is one of the first times that they will have ever had the power to make a choice yeah. in their lives. Yeah. And we're giving that choice yeah. to them. Um, so that was very powerful. It was very powerful for me to walk in and to see Iona, yeah. my 18-year-old daughter's <laughs> photograph, slap bang in the yeah. middle. And to know that that hadn't been done deliberately, it was mm-hmm. the World Vision Uganda yeah. staff who, yeah. they'd arranged the photographs. Mm-hmm. They didn't know who my daughter was, mm. um, but there she was right in the middle. And to, again... Really brought it home. Really brought it home. In a different home. country. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thousands of miles yeah, away from yeah. Edinburgh. Um, was was remarkable and very humbling. And then just to stand on at the side and watch these children one by one come forward and pick and, and just think, oh, they've... They've chosen Ruth and Mark. Oh, they've chosen Dougie and Jane. No, you don't want to pick Ruth and Mark. Um, well, no, and I, I, I promised that I wouldn't influence the kids, and I didn't. Um, apart from when I... If there were people that I knew quite well, yeah. I then went and had a chat with the child and said, you've chosen a really good one. Brilliant. You've, you've, you know, that... Per- I yeah. know that. And this is what this person does. Mm-hmm. That's the job, or a bit about them, yeah. about the family, or about their the, the relationship, or what they do in church. Yeah. Um, but they, they were... It was they were overwhelmed, yeah. um, because they had never been outside of Pajuli apart from the refugee camp. Wow. So you know, telling them about Edinburgh is it's, mm. it's an alien planet. Mm-hmm. So you all all these kids picked their their sponsors, their yep. images, their I guess their international family. Yeah. Um, you then came back. Then what? Um, came back to Edinburgh. Rather to Edinburgh. Say. Flew in on the Saturday morning to rain. I think it was sleet uh, on December the 14th. And the next day we had a Chris Dingle service at 11 o'clock and we had old carols at 5 o'clock mm-hmm. and 7 o'clock. And that was what in the chosen process is called the Reveal Sunday. Mm-hmm. So the two UK staff that had gone out with me, um, they brought back with them... Um, photographs of the children holding the photographs of P's and G's mm. church members and an envelope for each P's and G's church member that contained within it a photograph of the child that had chosen them but then also a worksheet that the child had sat down and drawn a picture of mm. themselves uh, written about themselves said you know what hobbies they like to do what they'd like to do as a job perhaps uh, in the future what their dream might be um, and and also why they chosen the mm. particular person. So and they they varied from things like you know you look kind. Um, I know one child wrote, "I chose you because you look fat like my mum," <laughs> um, which didn't go down particularly well with the p- particular person that would uh, 
have been chosen. Um, and actually, they're not fat uh, at all. But that, again, is a relative thing. Yeah. And so in, in UK terms, they're thin. But actually, yeah. in Ugandan terms, um, they're not. Um, and then to, to watch P's and G's church members after each of the services, the 9 o'clock, the 11 o'clock, the 5 o'clock, and the 7 o'clock, go into the ground floor hall and find their envelope and then watch people opening those envelopes and quite often breaking down yeah. in tears and to see that dynamic of how moving it was uh, to be in Pajuli and watch the children make the choice mm. but then also being back in P's and G's and seeing P's and G's members discover which child had chosen mm. them was incredibly moving. Yeah. Um, but the other significant thing that happened on that second Sunday was that because it was the Chris Dingle service and because it was old carols, we had lots of visitors. Yeah. And we simply showed the video of what had happened on the, th the previous Thursday and told the story of Chosen. And of the 47 people who then decided to go and offer themselves for the next Chosen party in mm. Pajuli at the end of January, I think probably 40, 50% were visitors they were guests they weren't we don't know whether they're christians or not um but they're certainly not part of p's and g's mm. um and i heard stories from people you know on the school gate the next week saying oh it's really good to come to your church and it was fantastic to be at that sort of kaylee carol service uh, <laughs> on the sunday evening or to be at that thing with the orange and that intern wearing that inflatable chris dingle suit um but to hear about that thing in uganda and we decided as a family that we were going to offer yeah. ourselves to be chosen at the next chosen yeah. party so that was a very powerful um apologetic i think for us as a church to say this is what we believe this is what we believe about jesus this is what we believe about christmas but also this is what we do and mm. this is the difference that it makes to how we spend our money, how we spend our time. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like yeah. to be a follower yeah. of Jesus, is to actually be interested in a community thousands of miles away mm -hmm. in Uganda and try and help them mm -hmm. and make a difference. It's a really interesting model because other models, as we've already established, we get to pick yeah. the child, whereas suddenly people in Edinburgh are in quite a vulnerable position because they're putting themselves forward not knowing if they're going to get picked or not they are going to get picked but I remember when I did it I was thinking well Flip what happens if we don't get picked like that's quite a selfish thought I guess it probably says more about me than it does about the child but to do that put yourself forward in faith and then to have a child pick you suddenly there's just this long distance but the only way I can describe it is just this beautiful long distance bond that mm. is kind of is, be is beginning to grow at that point and um, yeah I'll talk about my experience in a bit but I think I, what I'd really love to know from your experience like because when we saw the video that you played on the second Sunday you were evidently moved yeah. by it personally speaking like what was that what was your experience of it it was just deeply humbling yeah um, and I think it, it was it was the combination of the two it was the willingness and the generosity of P's and G's church members. So because we have had a relationship with World Vision for 14, 15 years, mm. because a number of people had sponsored children in Kisumu in the west of Kenya mm. 14, 15 years ago, because P's and G's is a generous church, 
<clears throat> and over the last 20 years, we've learned to give in a way that I think is remarkable. Yeah. And the amount of money that we give away is incredible. Yeah. Um, I thought... I'm not sure how much more capacity Peace and Cheese has for a new initiative. So the World Vision UK staff were quite excited. Yeah. And they were really because this is the first this is the first pilot this is a pilot project yeah, yeah, yeah. of a UK church. So they're talking in numbers of 100 150 sure. 200 and I'm going down tiger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if we get 50 we'll be doing incredibly yeah. well. So to end up with 217 uh-huh. blew me away. Yeah. So it was the level of generosity on the part of P's and G's church yeah. members who gave in a way that surprised me. Yeah. And I've been around quite a while yeah. and I've you know had several times with the building project yeah, yeah. and Micah gift days and another t- you know responses for when we've asked the church to give perhaps to employing two associate rectors rather than yeah, yeah. one. And the church has continuously surprised me with the level of giving that they respond with. It's in their muscle. It's in their muscle. Yeah. It is in their muscle. But I, I don't. I never take it for granted. Yeah. Um, but to see that happen again on that scale blew me away. Um, but then also to see what it meant to the children and the community in Pajuli. Mm. It was that combination that I just... It just... Yeah, made me weep several yeah. times yeah. Uh, during that week. I, I cried more during that week, I think, than any other um, week in my life. Even you know when my parents died, yeah. um, because it was they were happy tears. Yeah, but it was this deep, deep sense of privilege uh, at having a front row seat and watching what God was doing in Edinburgh and watching what God was doing in Pajuli, mm. and it was the same God. Mm. Um, so that that was remarkable. I think, like, when Mark and I did it, Mark came home from church that morning. I think I must have been speaking that morning and Mark came home and was just talking about it. And personally, I was a little bit cynical mm-hmm. about it because of my perceptions and thoughts about other models. Yeah. But I, I was saying to you earlier on, I, I think back to an experience of where I was in Colombia um, with previous organisation and we were working with children there and I was of the age where I suddenly realised oh, I could have a sense of responsibility here by looking after this child. Um, and I really thought about those feelings and sort of my intentions with that because I wanted to help that child in whatever way I possibly could. And obviously that wasn't a situation where I'd be sponsoring that child, but I did promise myself that I was going to tell the stories of, that, of those children forevermore. Yep. And here I was presented with an opportunity where I could actually help them you know, a step more, which was to kind of financially give. It's not just about the financial aspect of it, it's the the prayer aspect, it's the... um, You mentioned earlier on about the more a child receives contact from their sponsor that has significant... Yeah, I mean, because child sponsorship has been going for 50, 60 years. And World Vision has always been on the cutting edge of developing Mm. a new model. Mm -hmm. I mean, child sponsorship has its critics. Mm. It's not perfect. Yeah. You cannot escape the fact that there is an imbalance in the economic and power dynamic yeah. where we in the materially prosperous developed world, mm. so-called, 
are able to to help those in what we sometimes patronizingly call the developing world. Yeah. Um, West is best. West is best. And there's the whole white saviour thing, yeah. you know, which is around stuff like Comet Relief and, mm. and other, um, other ventures like that. But you can't escape the fact that as a Christian, um, I can't... When Jesus said, who is, my, who is your neighbour? Mm. Your neighbour is somebody who's in need. Mm-hmm. And that is an effect... It is not affected by geography. And my neighbour is the person who lives next door. My person is the person who lives in Stockbridge or Leith or Granton or Pilton or Morningside or even South Queensferry. Mm. Um, not Glasgow. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, my, I was born there. I know, well, West is best again. Um, but my neighbour is also somebody who is my brother and sister in Christ yeah. or not yeah. in Uganda yeah. or Kenya. Um, so geography doesn't determine who is my neighbour. My neighbour is somebody who requires help. Yeah. And if I have the means to give something whereby I can help that person materially, spiritually, emotionally, mm. psychologically, it's my duty as a Christian to respond to that need. Yeah. Now, we can talk about economic theory. We can talk about... Uh, theories of development we can talk about the power imbalance Mm. and it's right that we address those Mm -hmm. things um because they're important and they are a factor and we we can't ignore the reality of them but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything yeah oh yeah Um, and the reality is we may be able to help them economically but they have loads to teach us Mm -hmm. So I received from that Anglican pastor of a church of 4,000. I learnt from him. He prayed for me. It Mm. was a reciprocal relationship. And that's one of the things that in the 15 years that I've been involved with World Vision that, that has really impressed me is that they go as far as they can not to build a dependent relationship. Mm. Um, they recognise the economic imbalance, mm-hmm. um, but they employ local staff and they will listen to the local community. They mm. will say, what's important to you? What do you mm. want? What do you think is the biggest need? And they go at the community's pace and they respond to the community identifying their needs. Now, because they've been doing this for 50 or 60 years... They've got a general idea of what will happen. So it normally is provision of clean water. It normally is the provision of some wells. It then moves on to food security. It then moves on to uh, protecting children. It then moves on to women's rights. Mm. It then moves on to food collectives. And it then moves on to a whole... You know, There are seven or eight mm-hmm. different stages that uh, a community will go through but what World Vision don't do is come in and say, here is our plan. Mm. They listen. Mm-hmm. And so... They're even, reactive. They're reactive. They don't, they don't prescribe to a local community the product that they will receive. Mm. They don't tell them what they need. They listen. They ask. Mm-hmm. And they employ local staff. Um, so, and again, that's been a striking feature on the four trips now that I've gone out with World Vision that if a world, say, for example, in Tanzania or Kenya or Uganda, I've been out in the field with 
a local staff member, um, a local volunteer, and a World Vision UK or a World Vision US mm. staff member. Something has happened. The World Vision UK or US staff member has said, I think we should do this. Mm. The Tanzanian, Ugandan or Kenyan staff member has said, no, we're going to do this. And the rule is you go with the local staff. Yeah. They they yeah. make the final call. Mm. Um, and that's impressive. So it's not, you know, the white Westerner telling yeah, yeah. the Ugandan or the Kenyan or the Tanzanian what's going to happen because we know best. Yeah. You listen and you go with their advice yeah. and you follow them and yeah. because they're in the field and they know that context and that culture. So it's not without its critics, it's not it's not without its problems. Um but I say one of the things that's impressed me, you know, and when we on our second trip with World Vision, uh, we took Alison Strang, uh, who was at Peace and G's and is now at Mustard Seed, and her and Ali Aja, again another former yeah. Peace and G's member, you know, they they go around the world lecturing mm-hmm. in development, yeah. and they know their stuff. Yeah. Um, and Alison said, you know, she was just amazed that the dates that she was seeing on the, the change to the models of development that World Vision were employing and pioneering were 10 years ahead. Wow. Um, and consistently it's happened over the last 50, 60 years that World Vision is often the leader and then other charities and NGOs, quite understandably, and, and you know when the level of the bathwater goes up, everyone benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if more children get help by other charities and other NGOs, that's fantastic. Um but they follow often World Vision's lead. Yeah. Um, so it's not without its critics. It's not without its problems. But it's a profoundly positive. But shift it makes a difference. In the right it direction. makes a difference. Yeah. And while it's making a difference, um, we, in the relative comfort, can have our debates mm-hmm. about the rights and wrongs of when helping hurts, which is the title of the book. But at the end of the day, people are hurting. Yeah. And we need to help them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, you know, it's about. It's about partnership, it's about relationships, um, and it's always been my my prayer, and it's sometimes a, a disappointment, if I'm honest, um, that not only will we help change that community in Uganda, but in involving ourselves in that community in Uganda, we will be changed. Yeah. It will change the way we think about God. It will change the way we think about Edinburgh. It will yeah. change the way we think about ourselves. It will change the way we think about what's important in life. We have loads to learn from the people in Pajuli. You know, they have been through 20 years of trauma. Mm. They're still Christians. Yeah. They're still praying. Yeah. They're still able to dance yeah. far better than I ever could. <laughs> um, and they're still able to rejoice with those who rejoice while yeah. weeping with those who weep. You know, one of the questions that's asked is, how do the other children, how do the other families respond in a community when a child gets sponsored? Yeah. Everybody else cheers them on. Mm-hmm. There's no jealousy. There's no, you know, why haven't you picked my child? Because the children that are chosen to choose mm. their sponsor are the poorest of the poor. Yeah. So it's the local community that nominates the children. Yeah. It's not, again, World Vision going yeah. in and looking for the photogenic ones. Yeah. It's the local community, the local head teacher saying, here are the poorest children in this community. Mm. They're the ones that need help first. Yeah. So in Kenya, in Tanzania, in Uganda, all the communities that I've visited, there has been no sense of jealousy mm. of a child or a family that's been sponsored. 
But the other thing is that for every one child that's sponsored, another four children get helped. See, this was the thing that began to kind of change my thoughts on this, was realising that it was not just one child, it was four. Five. Five, yeah, yeah, five, sorry. Five. Shows how much <laughs> I was great in maths in school. Uh, yeah, you know, five children sponsored just from our money, which was just effectively a couple of cups of coffee a week. Yeah. That's, that's how much yeah, it two, costs, really. Two coffees a week, £26 yeah. pounds a month. Yeah. And for that, so there were 217 children that were able to choose a sponsor or sponsored family or sponsored, sponsored mm. couple or sponsored group of friends uh, from P's and G's. But that impacted well over a 1,000 children in that community. So the, the money goes to the child and mm. the child's family, but also the money goes to the community. Yeah. So the community benefits as a whole. Yeah. Um, and it's when you start to realise, you know, in, the, in that week before Christmas, from December the 8th to December the 15th, we impacted 1,200 children yeah. in northern Uganda and will do for the next 15 years, yeah. which were, I mean, between 60 and 70,000 pounds a year yeah, is committed. So we were working this one out, so if it's like 26 pounds per five children, yeah. and I call it one, but five, scaling that up, we're looking at over 5,600 per month yeah. from one church, which is over 67,000, just under 68,000 annually, and over 15 years, we're talking well over a million. That's bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> and then people say, oh, I'm not sure it works. Yeah. And you go, come on. Yeah. Get, you know, smell the coffee yeah. that you're not drinking because you've given the money <laughs> to World Vision anyway. Um, but you just say, well, okay, if you can come up with a better model, yeah. if you can come up with a more effective means of motivating people to give... And also having impact out in the field. And the other thing, I mean, child sponsorship, as we've said, has its critics. Mm. But the, 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 the one thing that is, is scientifically proven is the more a sponsor builds a relationship with the child, the more they write, the more they send photographs, yeah. the more they send birthday cards or Christmas cards, mm. the more impact that has on the child who is being sponsored yeah. and the better they do at school and in personal development. And, you know, they've because they've been doing it for 50, 60 years, they've got the figures and they've tracked and they can do so even more now with the, the internet and digital technology, etc., you see the difference that being a sponsored child... So, again, I, um, Alison Strang was, was very dubious about child sponsorship mm. uh, because of her uh, expertise in this area. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't get away from it. But then we were walking uh, one day in Kenya to go and visit a local community in the field. And we had to leave the 4x4 four four because we could not get through <laughs> to where this community was and we walked for half an hour and she talked I think it, I think it, I mean it's it is 15 years ago now I think his name was Vincent or Albert <laughs> and and she was just talking with Vincent or Albert who was the local development officer for World Vision um, in that particular area in in western Kenya and she started to ask him questions about the model and this guy knew, I mean, we, we referred to, he was always like Jesus. He was always ahead of us. <laughs> when we went to a town or a school or a hospital yeah. or a project, he was always there before us. Mm -hmm. He got there already. 
and we'd, we'd been to a child-headed household uh, two days before and the child hadn't gone to school that day and this guy knew this family whose parents had died and they were being looked after by the local community as the eldest sibling was having to raise her brother and sister um, and it was the sister that hadn't gone to school and this guy knew the family he knew the school and within 12 hours that kid was back at school because he he knew that local community mm. so you think okay and they're, they're walking along and on the walk back we had the visit to the local community and we're there for a couple of hours and then we walked back because the I mean it was idyllic the sun was setting you know in in, in Kenya mm. in, in the Masai Mara um, and this the sunset, the Serengeti, and we're walking back half an hour towards the four by fours. And uh, Alison just said, "Yeah, I think I may have to change my mind about child sponsorship." <laughs> and I said, no "Why?" Way. And she said, "Well, that that guy who works for World Vision, he was a sponsored child." Wow. And he told her his story. Yeah. Um, I think Libby mentioned that. And then Libby mentioned yeah. the story of a guy that she'd met um, in. Uh, Bangalore when she went out with Andy Bevan and IJM yeah. um, in between me going to Tanzania and me going to Uganda she went out to Bangalore with IJM um, I think we're going to send Paul to I don't know, Oban um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's a joke um, <laughs> but she met this guy who'd worked for, who was working for IJM as the local church development manager mm. and when she said why do you work for IJM it turns out He'd been a sponsored child, yeah. and, and he had been a Dalit, he'd been a Hindu. He, he'd been very bright at school, but his family hadn't been able to continue paying his school fees. That was the equivalent of about, I don't know, 20p a year. Yeah. And he'd become a tra- sponsored child through World Vision. He'd gone to school. He'd been picked out as a scholar. He'd got a, a, a government scholarship. He'd gone to university. Um, he worked for World Vision for several years, and now he's working for IJM. He'd become a Christian, he'd gone back to his village in the north of India, his family had all become Christians, and then the whole village of 300 had become Christians. Because he was sponsored through somebody in World Vision. And you go, okay, this is having an impact, this makes a difference. The current Anglican Archbishop of Kenya was a sponsored child. And you're going, okay... You cannot dispute for all the rights and wrongs of child sponsorship. And we can have those debates. And I will sit down over a coffee or a pint and very happily have that discussion with somebody. But at the end of the day, it works. And, you know, if you can, it's the starfish thing. If you can yeah. get one starfish yeah. out of the water, you start with that one starfish. And we're helping initially 217 children, but through them, 1,200. Uh, and that was the, the poignant bit at the end of the day is that there were tears of happiness mm. on that Thursday in Uganda. But there were also about 50 children at the end of the day that started to cry. Yeah. Because there weren't enough people for them to get the chance to choose. Sure. Now, they will be the first children and would have been the first children at the next chosen party in that community yeah. at the end of January. And the reality is, I asked the local manager, and I said, how many children have you got? Because some people at home are a bit worried that they might not get chosen. He said, we've got thousands. There's 5,000 children in this community. So, you know, that's five times the number of people who call P's and G's home. So I think we've got some work to do yet. I think, again, these are things that were beginning to kind of turn my thoughts on that. The fact that, as you've just been explaining, 
sponsoring a child in this way can help an individual become a world changer yeah within their own context yeah whether it's locally nationally internationally whatever so that was like another thing that went ding okay half the cabinet uh, yeah of, of uh-huh. kenya are former yeah sponsored yeah. child children the other the other thing for me that i thought was that i loved was i was seeing a lot of people kind of take that step forward and think yeah i'm gonna do this whether it was a family an individual a couple of friends together who decided yeah. to do it and uh, mark and i decided to do it as a married couple what i loved about it was this was a community in edinburgh with mps and g's that was then building a supportive relationship with another community in Uganda and Pajili. And, yeah, I, I think that was one thing that I just loved the idea of being part of and wanted to kind of just contribute to. Well, that, that's where I think we start to address some of that imbalance of power. Yeah. That if it becomes a relationship, and it is complicated, and it's not without its pitfalls, and that, again, I think World Vision do it very well yeah. in that they act as the as the mediator so although a sponsor and i'd encourage people who have sponsored have been chosen as mm. sponsors to you know and i you know kathy's told me this week you haven't written yet to ours so yeah. I, I need to i need to write some yeah. letters or uh, send some cards this week and i'm very conscious of that um so do write do send birthday cards, Christmas cards, photographs. In fact, I think World Vision tells you. Yes. When when, when, when it's Charles' is. birthday in, in August, yeah. they'll send you an email. Or now a, is the time to write Christmas cards. Now is the right time it Christmas. takes so many weeks to get there. Yep. And... Um, because, again, one of the things that struck us on our second visit to Kenya um, was that when we went to Elizabeth's home, and Elizabeth was the child that we'd started sponsoring two mm. years before, um, she... When we'd seen her the first time, was very shy. Um, second time, she was much more confident. Uh, the family were much more welcoming. They were quite sullen, I think, mm. is, is the best description. And I almost got the sense, particularly from the dad, that he was jealous of this white Westerner, Mzungi, as mm. they call them in Kenya, coming and giving something to and for his daughter that he could not provide. Sure. And he resented that. And yeah. I understand that as a dad. Um, but now, two years later, um, Elizabeth came and brought a, 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 a tin box. And inside the tin box were all the photographs and the cards and the pencils and the toys that we had sent <laughs> in the previous two intervening two years. Wow. And they were obviously so, they were so precious to her and then the other thing that amazed us was uh, the second Christmas, just before we went back yeah. to Kenya, um, we'd sent £50 as a sort of one-off gift. And the previous time we'd visited the family was in this mud hut with a straw roof. And they were all, it was just one room. They all lived together in one room. And now that was an animal and food store. Mm. And next to that was a much bigger house with a steel roof and three rooms and the local World Vision staff member as we arrived said so this is their new house mm. this is what we bought with them for that £50 that mm. you gave so for 50 quid, we had provided them a new house mm. 50 quid is probably the cost of a semi-decent pair of shoes yeah yeah I mean it's just crazy and yet we we helped the house 
Yeah, there is a new. This family is living in a new house with three rooms rather than one. Um, they've expanded their crops around the two buildings that they now have. And I knew something had changed because we, we sat down. Elizabeth was much more confident, engaged us, very happy to see us, remembered us. Um, and the dad uh, said something in Swahili um, and the World Vision staff member just laughed. And I said, what did he just say? And he said, he, he says, you are getting fat. Uh, and I thought, well, now we've moved to a different point in our relationship. So he was resentful. Now he's teasing me for putting yeah. on weight. Yeah. Now we're, we're actually engaging as two normal human Love beings. Um, and there was a connection. Love um, so you can make a difference in their lives, but it also changes who we are. That's and it great. is that community to community, which I say is not without pitfalls. It's not straightforward. And World Vision manage that really well. So they are the, the intermediaries. Yeah. Um, it's not as though, you know, the church in Paduli can send me an email and say, give us £10,000, mm. which has happened in the past when the relationship became messy mm-hmm. and boundaries got mm. muddled. I think what's, what's so great about, again, if we talk about the £26, for some people that's a lot of money, for others it's not. Yeah. And um, you, for us, I'd say P's and, uh, certainly P's and G's, but for Mark and I, yeah, we can give £26 quite it, easily and I think what I, what I want to say is is that for us it's quite a sustainable way yeah. of giving long term support yeah um, I think quite often we when you hear about human rights issues or whatever when you feel or see the, the scale the, the weight whatever of that issue you can forgive for thinking how can I honestly make a difference really like how can I honestly make a difference and I love the idea of a lot of little actions yeah as part of a, a, a rhythm um, or a routine can actually make a huge difference. And if such a small amount over 15 years can, you know, as, as a collective group of over 200 people in P's and G's, and, and raising I think over a million pounds. That is incredible. And I think that, if I'm honest, that's also a challenge to lots of people in the church who have been very committed to world mission mm-hmm. for many years. Yeah. But they're having to come to terms with the fact that the world has changed. Yeah. And, and continues to change. And continues to change. And because of technology, so from April, World Vision uh, will be launching a digital platform yeah. for Chosen where um, you'll be able to take your own photograph on your phone, upload your details mm. to their website, and you will then get the opportunity to be chosen yeah. by a child in Uganda or somewhere else without the need for coming together mm. uh, in the way that we did in December because we were a pilot project. Although the downside of that is that you miss out on the community aspect yeah. of it. Um, but it's recognising that the world has changed, society has changed, culture has changed, and therefore actually mission and global focus has to change because the world is both a smaller and bigger place. I mean, the coronavirus is a fantastic and tragic example of mm. that. So we can do things that 30, 40, 50 years ago we could not do, but that then also provides an opportunity for far greater engagement. So if you'd said to me 20 years ago that we would come up or be involved with a project that would give over a million pounds to mission, I don't think I believe you. Yeah. Now, Peace and Jesus always supported 
mission partners mm -hmm. and we'll continue to mm -hmm. support mission partners who go out from P's and G's. Mm -hmm. But here we are supporting a local community, a local church in Pajuli. Mm. We're not sending people, we're sending resources mm -hmm. and we're building a relationship with them where they can make a difference rather than somebody from Edinburgh having to go to Uganda, yeah. which is the traditional model of mission. Yeah. Well, now it's a partnership. Yeah. And we're technically kind of shortening the distance yeah. between Edinburgh and Pajuli yeah. because of the digital world that we're in now, yeah. because of, like, I think when I think about what happened with the, the bomb attacks in Sri Lanka in Easter last year. That we live in this world where a situation will happen and the world will probably know about it two minutes later. Yep. And very quickly, we can we have the means to be able to respond. The first and foremost being through prayer, actually. You know, I remember when you mentioned, I mean, I'd seen it on the news, but when you'd mentioned it in church, you know, within within minutes, within, yep. within hours, and hundreds of people were praying. A very quick response. And here, again, we have this quick response that we can help people in a completely different country thousands of miles away yet we're technically kind of making that distance a lot shorter and therefore creating a much better way of building a connection a relationship a support base for that um i just want to quickly move on um and just think of two more things and before we finish up i want to i want to hear about the child or the children rather that you have supported um and then i want to talk about just like looking to the future and the legacy of that so who, who, who picked you? Um, who chose you, I should say. <laughs> there, there were a few. Um, <laughs> I think they, they're, char they're characterised... I mean, Cathy, again, to my shame, knows their names far better than, than me. Um, most of them are quite shy. Most of them... Uh, one is a twin who also chose um, Callum and Kirsty, um, Mitchell and, and their boys, uh, mm. To, to be their sponsor um, they're quite shy because they're very young yep. and they're lacking in confidence and still probably trying to figure this thing out still trying to figure out um, yeah. but there's a lovely um, video vignette on the World Vision website uh, Jess Poulsen um, along with a few others um, where, where it was interviewed by the World Vision on the first Sunday and World Vision on the second Sunday and it just tells the story of, of Jess watching a girl called Rachel mm. choose her to be her sponsor. And Rachel says, again, she's very shy. Um, she says the words, Jessica, I choose you in whatever language <laughs> it was. In, it, it's not Swahili, but it's, it's a variation of it in northern Uganda. Um, and we, we had to get her to say it 20 times to the <laughs> camera because she was so <laughs> quiet. Um, and there's no noise. I mean, it's you know, it's out in the middle of the bush. Yeah. But you're like whispering, Jessica, and whatever it was the language <laughs> that she was saying. Um, I choose you. I choose you. Um, but to hear Rachel explain that actually she wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. And for Jess to say, I can be involved in helping Rachel become a teacher. Yeah. So you know, if I write letters, if I send cards, as well as giving money, mm -hmm. if I pray for Rachel, I can play a part in Rachel's future being far more hopeful, very different. Um, one of the children that we sponsored in um, Kisumu in uh, Kenya uh, was uh, a boy called David. Mm. And I walked into to David's house that was three rooms and there on the, on the wall was a poster of Manchester United 
So it was very definitely oh, wow. God-ordained yeah. uh, that here was David <laughs> in Kenya uh, being sponsored by Dave in Edinburgh. And we you know, immediately had a bond through football yeah. and Manchester United. That's the global language. Uh, it's the global language. And that's when we were good. Um, so you, you realise that here are children who may be thousands of miles away, yeah. but actually their story, yes, is different to ours, mm. but there are, there are common aspects and common features yeah. Um, whether it be football, whether it be education, whether it be teaching, whether it be games, whether it be stories, um, they facing they face incredible challenges. They mm. face situations and obstacles that many of us don't. But they also have lived a, incredible lives of example and courage and commitment mm. that are deeply inspiring and provoke and challenge us as yeah. to how we're going to live. Yeah. Um, Remember when Mark and I were when we got our envelope. We were given Ivan, mm-hmm. uh, or rather Ivan had picked us, he chose us, and he was four, he wants to be a doctor, and so he can't read or write yet, um, but he's able to draw and have his yep. own way of communicating, and um, we were, Mark and I were very fortunate that we were able to see a video of Ivan picking us. Oh, wow. And I had no idea that this was going to happen, so we were just watching it, and when I, when I saw this child take our photograph I literally ugly cried (laughs) (laughs) in a way that probably haven't ugly cried in a long time before um yeah it was just I I guess it's coming back to that vulnerable thing of you Mark and I in faith had put ourselves forward hoping that someone would pick us and this child Ivan did pick us and we have an opportunity to help and I think you said earlier on Jess felt that she was able to help this child that wanted to be a teacher um, as we kind of move on to our final thing, just look into the future and creating a legacy. Just share a few thoughts on that. I think it's, it's, it'll be an ongoing relationship. Yeah. I mean, because of the level of response that Peace and Cheese Church members gave, uh, we qualified for a, a field trip. So um, in 18 months, two years' time, there'll be an opportunity for six seven, eight members of P's and G's mm. to go to Pajuli. Yeah. They will get to do the journey that I did and <laughs> uh, to travel for 24 hours on a plane um, and to visit the community, to meet the children that chose them, mm. to see two years in the difference that the money and the relationships are making to that community. They'll probably go to that school where mm. the, the chosen party happened They'll get to meet the families, then probably meet the mum that I met who's still got the bullets in her thigh, who Mm. led the dancing. They'll get to meet some incredible local World Vision staff and Mm. volunteers. Um, And it's about building that relationship and recognising, yes, there are differences. Yes, there is an economic dynamic of inequality. But at the end of the day, there's a church in Pajuli and there's a church in Edinburgh who are people yeah. and we're helping each other mm-hmm. and we're supporting each other and we're praying for each other to be what God has called us to be, whether it's in Pajuli or whether it's in Edinburgh. And as I say, we've got, we've got as much to receive as we have to give. We may give financially, mm. but I think we will receive a lot spiritually and emotionally from the relationship that we develop with that community. Mm. Thank you. Pleasure. So much. Pleasure.